I ran across this article. Uh, I am not a supplier. This is talking about the discussion of the software supply chain and from the perspective of both the, the user of these packages and also the maintainers. Welcome to Test and Code. Today on Test and Code, I am thrilled to have Thomas DePierre. Did I say that right? No, I didn't. I did. I said Thomas. It's Thomas. Thomas is, okay. is usually the, the French pronunciation. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm practicing a little bit of French pronunciation. So I asked uh, Thomas to be on the show uh, because uh, because of an article um, that he wrote uh, called "I'm Not a Supplier." But before we jump into that, um, can you tell me about a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sure. So um, right now, Thomas de Pierre. Right now, I um, work as an SRE at Indeed. So for people that may not know, this is mostly an ops-oriented kind of roles where I work in incident management. So helping people uh, at Indeed, on engineers and ops people, and all be better equipped and supported during incident. Um, before that, uh, I have been uh, software engineers for years, uh, working at all kind of levels, uh, mostly trying to unlock people to you know get their work done better in a team. So you will find me unlocking uh, build pipeline. You know, CI/CD. You would find me writing small tools for deployments. You would find me uh, debugging uh, something that end up being that start as the um, npm problem to do on the package and end up being a JLibc bug that I would have to fix. Um, so I've done a few years of that kind of things, and so I have a relatively wide range of experience in that. And before that, uh, I was an uh, an EE. I was an electronic engineer. Uh, so I come from a really, you know, uh, started with electronics up to, uh, at some point, some web stuff. I, I, I really have a wide range, yeah. I ran across this article. Let's talk about the article. Uh, yeah. I'm not a supplier. This is talking about the discussion of the software supply chain and from the perspective of both the the user of the spikes of packages and also the maintainers and stuff. So yeah. tell me about this article. Um, yeah. Can we summarize it a little bit? Yeah, totally. So um, the, the way I, took, I went through, through the article is that, so for people, I start by defining what a, a really simple and basic definition of supply chain, right? Which is uh, coming from EE and electronics, that's something I've dealt with. Uh, and that can be quite a pain as we have seen last year, if you have followed what have happened around shortages of all kinds of, of components. Um, and so the, this idea of supply chain is that um, when you have a factory, you don't only control, you, you control what you build in the factory, but you now have a, a vast web and chain of suppliers that provide you the elements you need to run your factory and produce the, the, the thingy map bob that you are doing. Um, and that can explode really fast in terms of size because if you go to just someone that build let's say um i need um i don't know um i need screws right to to close my case so i go to my to a screw suppliers and they send me screws 
pretty nice. Now, at some point, they call me back and like, right, uh, we have a problem. We c- we are going to be late for the- to sending you your next shipment of screws because the machines that we use to package them need a particular kind of um, metal for a particular piece that is essential to it, and we can't get that particular metal, this particular alloy. Okay. So we can't package any screw. And now... You, as someone that is doing a small thingy-me-bob that is maybe just a small toy or something, you are now stuck without the... You cannot produce anymore because someplace in the world, a particular alloy has not been produced. And then when you go there, you discover that the steel factory that that makes this alloy, um, oh, it's just that one of the particular temperature sensors they use for these particular machines they need to produce this alloy, it's broken and they can't find it because the supplier of that particular sensor went bust. And now you are five level deep and you have a temperature sensor company that is blocking you from producing (laughs) despite you being a really like a small toy case company. And so that's a reality of the things you have to deal with in a lot of manufacturing. And so that's the supply chain. And this is an idea we have seen end up after that article, I continue with the fact that this idea as this, this vocabulary of supply chain came up, come up regularly, right, recently in the um, software world. In particular, around this idea of software supply chain, um, we see that partly uh, high since the, we, we have seen more talk about it in the Log4Shell um, situation with Log4J. Uh, but even before that, the SolarWinds um, particular attack was specially centered um, around also something that was supply, software supply chain. And this idea is that um, when you build your product, right, whatever you deploy, whatever you send to customers, whatever you even, even if you do a small tool to help developers, right, you use dependencies. And these dependencies are basically kind of the same thing as the suppliers of a, ma- a factory, right? You need them. You need them to be there and to work well and you depend on them for quality, right? If the quality of your screws drop, well, the quality of the end product would drop and now you have problems. Well, you also have a problem here for this or for security and all these kind of things. So there have been a lot of discussion around um, software supply chain, right? How do we ensure, just like nowadays in factories, that we have good relationship with our suppliers and that what we get from them is the quality and the security and all these that we want from things we also send to customers or use to customers. Yeah. Um, and so that has been a vocabulary we have seen a lot. Uh, and I talk about this vocabulary and, where, and all this incident where it comes from and all these discoveries that people, especially at particular leadership or governmental level, are discovering that, hey, uh, there is a really wide web of dependencies that every piece of software we use depend on yep. and that can have really wide impact right um and i think at this point i use the xkcd um someone lost in nevada or something um that supports the whole pyramid uh, of dependencies and that kind of that and then we get to the crux of the to the to the uh title which is that um Software supply chain discussion, I've had a lot of discussion on what do we want from our dependency. 
what kind of quality and what kind of expectation we have in terms of can we track, can we follow where the piece of code that updated this version come from? Are we sure it has not been tampered with, right? Can we trust the maintainer or did they suddenly accept someone new and that they added a crypto miner to it, which happened uh, recently. And so, and the problem with all of this is that this, the way I talk about it, at least, and the way I think right now I have some problems with this discourse, is that this is adding more demands on the maintainers of these dependencies, except there is a, a fundamental difference between a supply chain and the software supply chain, which is that most of these uh, tools are open source, nearly all of them. There is not a lot of commercial dependencies these days. They are usually open source in a way or another. And the maintainers are not, are not paid. We are not in a relationship, in a business relationship with whoever uses the packet. And even more than that, everywhere there is a language that is in every single open source license. And so is in every single one of these dependencies, which is that this software is provided as is. Yep. And that says it all. There is no supply relationship. I put something up, you do whatever you want with it, but that's on you. That's not on me. And that's a fundamental difference in terms of relationship, which is not the relationship you would have with a supplier as a factory. Um, so, and that's why I think the analogy, the reuse of the vocabulary become really dangerous and, and impactful for the maintainer. So that's basically what I try to talk about a bit in the post. Yeah, and one of the things that's even, I think, even missing um, from the discussion is, I mean, I've heard some of, the, some of these discussions about, like, the, ma the maintainers of it. And so what, what happens? I mean, even if, if I'm looking at, it's the, it's the relationship between the user of, this, of the package and the writer and maintainers of the package. It's, it's so invisible. It's just, it's just maybe the readme and maybe the documentation and the API and whatever. But um, I go out, I need a thing, I find something that works and I try it and it works. And hopefully I've got tests in place to make sure that it, the way I'm using it is working and it will keep working. Now, what are some of my expectations? My expectations kind of are like, if, it, if I'm, if I, if I really am depending on this, that as the language advances, like uh, another version of Python or another version of Erlang or whatever comes out, that the maintainer is going to make keep that updated with the the new language features, or or at the very least, make sure it doesn't break on new uh, new versions. Um, and then their dependencies, their and uh, paying attention to security fixes and all this sort of stuff. But the reality could be this project may have been made by somebody that was taking a coding boot camp and then bailed afterwards and really isn't ever going to maintain it. Um, so um, I, there is this, we don't know that from, so that there's like hints you can look at how many maintainers are there. Is it active? I mean, there's ways to look at like the health of it, but even if a fairly healthy project can go by the wayside because um, some open source projects really are run by paid people. There may be a company that's having that has, uh, <laughs> this is an interesting one too. You don't know. It may have a company's name on it, but that might be that 
somebody in the company said, I really want to open source this project. Can I? And they're like, yeah, okay, whatever, but put our name on it. So that helps with our promote, like advertising for new software developers and stuff. It helps a company. Um, and then, and then that person gets bored with it or gets fired or retires or whatever. And that company's not going to maintain it just because it has their name on it. Um, so there's, there's a lot of that that can happen. So you almost kind of have, as a user of it, you hope it's different, but you have to realize that it might be not much more than copy and paste from Stack Overflow because that what you had at one point, you may, you may end up having to be the maintainer of that. So. Yeah. And even without going to this extreme, I think something that we don't talk a lot about is that a lot of maintainers, like I am for my own, the few packages I maintain, the few things I maintain, they don't, they it's usually, usually, not always, but usually, it's not part of the job. Right. Which means they are going, to, even if they are really uh, someone that knows what they are doing, right? It's not a, and they are still involved in it and they want to keep doing it. Um, Right now, my total uh, numbers, like my total time I can give to open source is probably something like two hours per month yeah. of real time spending code. Um, if you have a problem and you need to fix it because you have a deploy in three hours, I can't do that. It's going to have to wait until my two hours and hopefully it will be prioritized. And so there is a lot of this reality, which is that... Um, for a lot of people, there is a really limited amount of effort they can put in it, even if they want to, and even if they're really good at it and still there for it, it's just really, really hard to uh, keep going. The one I have in mind right now, which I think we, we at some point, I think disappeared a bit in the discussion. Um, you probably have heard of the Lock4Shell um, situation a yeah. few months ago. Um, the Lock4J maintainers, as far as I know, some of them took time off from the job to be able to work something like 40 to 80 hours a week during the, these particular months to try to fix it and support people that needed that. This is a lot more than what we should expect from a maintainer, but the reality also is there was a lot of people affected and that could have a huge impact. So what do you do, right? Yeah. And so we end up in this situation where we do have right now a lot of product, a lot of things that are used in real life by even life critical situation, right? In hospitals and in, in financial in financial services, in really important places that depend on a lot of dependencies which are maintained by someone that maybe can spend two hours a month on it and that's it. And so there is really this it, it, it's really, it, yes, there is also, you, you are going to have to maintain it possibly, and you cannot trust that. But the reality is that that's not the reality of today. The reality of today is that we have published all these things, and there is a really set of people that are trying to maintain this stuff. And they, yes, they, 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 maybe they can't, they don't have the time, or maybe it's, you are supposed because you use it to be able to maintain it. But in practice, that's not realistic. Um, yeah, so there's, uh, yeah. uh, there's some, some, uh, funding things. I mean, we often can talk about funding stuff, but, um, there's like, let's say I've got, I've got, I'm a, I'm working at a company and we're depending on something and we know we got a corner case and we'd like to have this, this thing that we're using 
support this extra feature or this bug get fixed. And we know it's a corner case and maybe nobody else is getting affected by it. So that's kind of an obvious thing of I can contact some of the core maintainers, try to get a contract together to say, hey, how much would it be to do this? How many hours can we fund you to to do this um, because it's important to us. That's like a slam dunk like that. Hopefully, well, hopefully, hopefully that people will be willing to do this. Well, there is, there is a, there are a few problems here. And I say that because I've been trying, we were in the Allen community in particular with the Anang Ecosystem Foundation. We had a lot of discussion of how we can do this kind of projects or smaller things and all. And you end up in an interesting conundrum because and I think Nadia Gdbal talked about it in a book on open source and, and the open source economy. Um, in theory, yes. In practice, first, you end up needing the maintainers, right? It's not something you can... There is a lot of situations where it's really hard to pay someone inside your company to do that kind of, of patch because um, it needs a lot of knowledge of how the library work, of how yeah. the internal system work. So you are forced to use a maintenance. The problem is maintenance usually already have a job. Yeah. And so they, they would love to sell some of their time for this kind of, of work, but they don't have the time. And if they, they only because there is a finite amount of time in the day and you have to work, you have kids, you have family. And so that limits what you can do for open source work. Even well, they might. They they also might not be able to contractually. Their might their job exactly. might say they can't accept money from other people. Right, and so the answer I get is well, you leave your job, and you work from the open source work. And the problem we have is that this kind of bounties, because it's really a bounty for a particular yeah. fix, right? Um, it's not stable. If I have a mortgage I have to pay every month, yeah, right. I am not going to live from bounties like that, right? I can't promise I'm going to get them every month or something. So it's, it's not really a solution, right? It's helped for some projects and it has been helpful at the edges. There have been a few things like that. But long term, this is not really a solution for the amount of maintenance that we need now, right? Well, and then there's, there's the other part is I don't have a corner case situation. I have like, it's, it's like the log4j thing. There's something obviously broken, even though companies all over the world were depending on it. Um, how do you, a companies, I'm like, I don't want to pay for it because everybody should pay for it. And yes, everybody should pay for it. So the, it's, it's a bummer. These, I don't know if these people were paid at all when they took time off to fix it, but it, it wouldn't have cost much if we said like, really everybody that's using it, pitch in a hundred bucks. Uh, if you're a company, five bucks for your person and, uh, and that should have been fine, but yeah. I mean, that's what make it hard. Right. And, and, and because you, you get multiple factors here, but one of them is a company, like they are not really going to pay 100 bucks invoice. Yeah, it's too right. low. Right. <laughs> so there is already that. And then you have a second problem, which is um, how do you organize to collect all of this money and distribute it fairly? Uh, sure. Right. And, and then you have the problem of, right, that needs to happen all the time. Yeah. And, and so you get into something that uh, looks a lot, and, and I, I'm, using it, I'm using a lot of the look-like, right? It doesn't have to be, but it, lots, it looks a lot like taxes for infrastructure use. Oh, yeah, I never really thought right? about that. Whereas yeah. everyone pay a little bit, and there is a central 
organizations that finance the things that everyone uses like this. Um, so I use a lot of look like because I know that when I see this word to an open source community, usually people have reactions, but it does look a lot like it, right? And that's really hard to do because on top of that, it can be really hard for organization to um, to cooperate because they can be competitors. And so that creates all kinds of legal problems too when you cooperate. That's why we have things like the Apache Foundations or the Linux Foundation. And it's it's a really hard problem. And also because they may not see the, the other problem with this kind of thing, which is really maintenance, right? Uh, Nadek Bal, again, I think I'll link it in the blog post. I'll link the Road and Bridges report she did in 2016 after yeah. the Hudbleed attack. Um, she took of that as infrastructure. This is infrastructure maintenance. And the problem with infrastructure maintenance is that you cannot easily give a value to what you pay for. What if no one maintains a bridge from 10 years? It's still up, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's really, really hard to sell to businesses uh, in a lot of ways. And on top of that, all of these maintenance are independent all over the globe, right? You can have people everywhere and they can have fairly different relationship to the open source. So it's, it's really, if we had that sort of system in place, it'd be very much more profitable to build flaky software then, um, because, well, <laughs> because the, then the I get paid to fix it all that, the time. Yeah. But the reality is that it's already, um, it's too hard to do not flaky software. It's not <laughs> like it's, I mean, and, and I'm not hitting at anyone, right? I, I write my own software. No, let's be honest yeah. here. Uh, it's already hard enough to get some things that work sometimes. So I, I don't yeah. think there is so much incentive here in practice. Yeah. So, um, and now I want to, aside from the money, the other, th one of the other things I wanted to bring up is that um, even, even with active maintenance, so there's, uh, there's a couple of projects that I maintain, but the reason why I open source them is just because I don't care that they have to be private. And I'd love to have people contribute if they want to, but also, it's solving a problem that I have. So a lot of open source projects are solving a problem that the person has. So they have wrote the software. They're just sharing it. They just happen to be sharing it. So a bug report comes in and says, you know, or a feature request of like, this would make my life a lot easier if you did this. And I evaluate it and go, actually, the I've got some test cases that if if I did that, it would slow down, uh, slow it down by thirty milliseconds, and I I've got some tight loops, and I don't want to spend that thirty milliseconds. So, yeah, it's not a problem for me, and it would slow down me. So, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, whereas, like, so the decision of what features should go in, what features should go out, are based on my needs um, or the needs of my company, and so that's going to be. That's a that's a reality of a lot of open source projects, and that's where the as is thing. I think that that's one of the things that was actually freeing for me to be able to say, "No, I just don't want this feature in there because maybe it makes your life easier, but I have to maintain it forever." Um, so no. Yeah, and and also, this is where we we begin to talk about the fact that when we talk about well. What we say usually at this moment is, well, if you want the feature, fork it, yeah. right? Like, change, fork it and change it. And something I think we are starting to realize, especially at the lowest level, right? All the things that run, that is really our infrastructure, right? I'm thinking of things like GLibc, OpenSSL, 
um, uh, the language runtime, like C, Python, Python, um, the tooling around packaging, right? I know there's been a lot of discussion around how you host and pay for the bandwidth of this packaging and how you write the code and maintain it. Uh, the standard library of this language. Um, I, we're talking about, about Python before. I know there's been a lot of discussion around the fact that the Python standard library has a lot of modules that are not really well maintained anymore because there is no one that can own them and work on them as much, that much. Yeah. Um, and so there is a lot of, there is a high cognitive cost into just getting up to speed into what to do in a code base like that. And so forking is not really a realistic answer most of the time. And so we end up in this situation where thanks to the ease of use, it has become used everywhere. And of course, the maintainer control what they want to do for their copy of the code and the one people decide to use, so that's great for, for them. But forking may not be a solution either. So we get in this really strange conundrum, right? Where we have this, we are stuck in this relatively hard situation where you only have a bad decision. All your decisions are bad. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's not a new situation. I got a medium-sized nail, and all I got is a big hammer and a small hammer. Um, uh, you got to pick. Uh, so, yeah, the difference is that now, when something goes wrong, it's not just your nail; it's everyone computers that run everything, <laughs> right? But but that's I think that's the realization we're beginning to get in, right? It's the the reason we see that much demand, right? That we see that it has grown is also because we and there is multiple factors here over the last decade approximately i think i would say that it's really has an explosion of the use of open source at every level and that's great um but it's also mean now that there is a lot of things that depend on that on, on this particular set of software that are maintained by a few people in their free time yeah. with the needs they have and the limitations they have and that creates this this kind of really hard discussions around well software supply chain um and also how do i even something we have not talked about yet but something that happened that, that people have really realized especially with log4j is that how do we know even run it because it became so permeated open source dependency have became some so much part of everything we do that it's really really hard to even know you have them Oh, yeah. So taking back to the supply chain uh, analogy, if I'm just buying some screws from some company, I'm not using the thermistor at the factory halfway around the world. So I'm no, I'm not using it. Software is different. Um, I the my dependencies, I am really am using it. So if I pull in code from pulling some code, I really am pulling in the code that the other person's pulling in as well. So yeah, that's where it breaks down a little bit. The, the part where it sort of is similar is, is build stuff. So like, let's say the, um, the, the project that I'm depending on can't do their CI CD is broken because, because, uh, Jenkins is broke. Well, I'm not using Jenkins, but they're, they are. And so whatever, um, uh, we're running a little long, but I was curious if you, if, do we have any like solutions to this it, that we haven't covered or are there any solutions? I mean, the. Software supply chain people, um, which people that really work in this domain, have done a lot of work on trying to um, 
write frameworks around, hey, um, if you do all these things, it's easier for us to trust what's happening in there. Um, in particular, you can find uh, one framework that has been pushed a lot lately on slsa.dev. Um, for I don't remember what the uh, supply, I don't remember what is the, the wall acronym. Um, but this is something that's been passed around a lot lately. I think it's mostly, but not only, a, a project pu pushed by Google, like a lot of things on the .dev, uh, but not everything on the .dev um, TLD. You, there have been also a lot of work on outside of that on the bomb, so software build of materials, um, in particular mm. following um, an executive order by the Biden administration uh, following Lock4j. Um, and so a lot of this, uh, the lock for shell situation, and so a lot of this have been coalescing around the past few years. Um, there, have been, there are a few commercial projects around trying to collect the data of which dependency you use and making you pay a subscription that they will redistribute to the maintainers of the dependencies. Hmm. Um, there have been uh, a lot of foundations that have been propping up, especially in the uh, language-specific ecosystem, right? Like um, the I think Python Foundation exists. There is an Haskell Foundation. There is a Herlang Ecosystem Foundation now. Um, you can keep going in all this language where you see that they have been propping us these past few years to try to get money from sponsors, from people that use that are from companies that use the community, and to try to finance a lot of the basic infrastructural work of this community, like the package manager, um, which is usually which has been historically really hard to finance. Um, there has been also um, a few um, stuff coming from governments. Um, the German government just set up a really small, uh, comparatively um, sovereign fund, kind of, uh, quote, quote, to invest into fundamental infrastructural projects, something like OpenBGP daemon. Right? Something we don't think a lot, but the BGP implementation that nearly everyone uses is kind of open source. And if that one go bad, if you have worked at the low level of the internet, you know that if BGP go bad, everyone has a bad time. And so yeah. that's the kind of thing that makes sense to found. So there have been a lot of initiatives, um, and that's great. Will any of them have mass, have sizable, sizable impact is still a quite an open question. Um, the reality is that most maintainers are not funded. There is not enough money at all to fund them in a stable way. Um, but we are seeing some progress in some aspects. I, I almost think that, I don't know, it, uh, a solution, I, this isn't a solution, but like my brain jumps to why does somebody else decide how much I get to maintain something? So um, that's not how if, if I sell a part, I get to decide how much it costs. So, um, so I, I mean, we could say, that my software is free, but, and we have seen this in different parts of software. My software is free, except for if you're a company, you have to pay a piece, you have to pay a little bit. Now the problem is with the dependencies. So the, um, if, uh, it's, if my software is being used by another open source project, they're, they're open. So they're free. So they're not paying me, but if they have the same license, they're getting a little bit from somebody who are they passing it along? Um, don't know. Well, a part of the problem here also is that, um, and and there is a lot of discussion in the committee, but this is not open source anymore for some right. of the exactly. really big definition of open source. And so at this point, you are back to selling commercial software, which is great, 
but create all kind of discussions around, well, now can people provide patches? Because now you make money from their work. Yeah, that's true. Right, and, yeah. and things get really complicated, and you license that work, so you have to get to you need to get copyright assignment, which is a whole discussion that happened a lot. Like things become really complicated. We're not really structured for that, right? Well, there's and also even, I mean, even the solution of like we know that uh, companies are distributing some money to some projects. Well, those projects are suddenly there's a little different feel around them. And I don't know if I want to do a bug fix for it because that's, I'm doing free work for a project that is going to benefit with money sort of thing. And, yeah, yeah. And we can into the discussion of fairness, right? Fairness of access, fairness of results and all kinds of things. And this is kind of where I think we, the, the comparison to infrastructure kind of reappears. Yeah. Right. Is we'll get to access, we'll get to decide, we'll get the money, we'll get, to decide uh, where do we invest the money and who get access to that are really hard question. And so the, the, the reality is that we can't avoid answering this question at this point. That may take a long time, that may be really painful, but the reality is that we now underpin a lot of what makes the world run for a lot of people. Um, yeah. And so like if, an, if the... Um, software ecosystem of a hospital go down, that's kind of bad. Uh, and so, right? And so, the, do, well, right. do we say so, that hospital can only run commercial software then? That's yeah. probably not what we want. So right. we get into this hard discussion, right? Yeah, or the, like the bridge analogy is an interesting one because the person that built the bridge originally got paid for it. Um, so, but in software... Uh, we kind of want to pay for people to fix things, but we don't necessarily want to pay for them to get built in the first place. Um, well, that's also, I mean, that's interesting because that's the opposite for commercial software, where we usually pay people to build it as if it was research and development, right? And they yeah. said that it will be amortized. And then we don't really want to pay for maintenance anymore. Yeah. And that has created a lot of problems too. Right, we we yeah. know if you work a lot in software projects that maintenance can be a lot of work for a software project, and you cannot really just build it once and run it all the time. Yeah. So maybe a software and and sometimes also, especially in the modern era now that we have a lot of open source and tooling around languages, building a new piece of software, even if it's really rough at the edges and limited, is not always a lot of work. Right. right. It may be a lot of knowledge and skills you need to apply, but in terms of, of pure work, creating a new thing may not be that much. Then you get the litany of edge case and special situation, and that's where a lot of the costs come in because you need to handle all of that. And now you need to change everything and think deeply about the problem, and, and that's why you have all this situation. But that looks a lot more like maintenance in a way. Right. So, it is like maintenance, but also the person that wrote it in the first place shouldn't get nothing. Um, so, I mean, yeah, yeah but that's, that's yeah. the kind of discussion of how discussion we're going to have. And yeah, interesting. Well, let's, yeah. so we're not going to fix it all today, but I really enjoyed the conversation and, um, and yeah, if you, uh, listeners, if you've got other uh, parts of this aspect that you want to jump in, get a hold of me. Um, maybe we can talk about it. So thanks a lot, Thomas. Thanks a lot. Um, Tom, have a good day. And we'll talk to you later. <laughs>